Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's July 2020, and we're still in COVID-19 quarantine, so we join each other via Zoom to bring you another lockdown listener request. Our mysterious listeners Lionel and Abby have requested an episode of Lights Out entitled the Haunted Cell. Lights Out was created by writer Willis Cooper in 1934 and quickly gained a reputation as the goriest, most shocking program on radio. When Cooper left the series to pursue a career in Hollywood, NBC hired writer-director Arch Obler to take his place. Obler wasted no time putting his mark on the show. His first script, Burial Service, depicted a paralyzed young girl buried alive with no hope of rescue. According to Mr. Obler, NBC was flooded with letters from outraged listeners, which pleased the fledgling horror writer to no end. Over the course of the next two years, Obler wrote more than 100 scripts for Lights Out, many of them considered classics of the medium. In 1938, Obler left the series to focus on other radio endeavors, such as Arch Obler's plays, Everyman's Theater, and Plays for Americans. Arch Obler returned to Lights Out many times during his career, usually when he was in need of some fast cash. This is fortunate for fans because most of the surviving copies of the program come from these short-lived revival series from the mid to late 1940s. What's more, the later iterations of Lights Out also resurrected a number of Willis Cooper's early scripts for the series, including the play you're about to hear. Sadly, none of the original productions from Cooper's time on the show are known to exist today. And now let's listen to The Haunted Cell from Lights Out, written by Willis Cooper, originally broadcast as part of an NBC summer series, July 20th, 1946. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. Lights out. Everybody. This is the witching hour. It is the hour when dogs howl and evil things are let loose on a sleeping world. Sit in the dark now and listen to Lights Out. So you don't believe in ghosts, huh? Let me tell you something, friend. Guys that don't believe in ghosts is guys that ain't never seen none, ain't that right? Listen, I can tell you a ghost story that'll make your hair curl. I'll say it'll make your hair curl. Listen, last August I was nabbed by a couple of coppers. 
Never mind the details. It just so happened that they come up on me when I was sticking up a filling station and, well, they drug me in. It was a tough rap to beat. Since they got me standing there flat-footed holding a gun on one of the filling station guys and, well, the coppers didn't like me anyway. Huh? Oh, yeah, sure. Because I'd had to bump off a copper a week or two before. And wouldn't it be my luck to be picked up by this guy's partner? Well, they took me in and they decided to show me the goldfish. You don't know what that is, huh? Well, I'll tell you. You're a liar. Yeah? So what, copper? You rat. I know you knocked off Ambrose Hogan, and you're gonna fry for it. You gotta prove it first, Miller. Pull the light over this way a little more, John. Okay. Right in his eyes. I'll prove it, rap. Go ahead. Hand me the hose, John. Now look here. Don't you go... Now what do you say? I'm not gonna rat to no... He ain't, huh? You'll wait till I get to a mouthpiece, Miller. You'll be walking a beat out in Circleville where the elf... It won't make no difference to you, punk, where I'm walking a beat. Not when you're burned. Yeah. Who's gonna burn me? You knocked off Ambrose Hogan. I was in Omaha the night he got knocked off. Listen, Maxie. Get this now. Ambrose Hogan was a white guy. When I seen him laying on a slab downstairs, I took a solemn oath I'd get the rat that done it if it took me 50... You ought to hire a hog. I'll get you for this, copper. I don't think you're going to get anything out of him, Miller. There's a smart copper, Miller. Yeah. Listen, I got a way to get things out of smart guys like you, Maxie. Come on over here, John. What are you going to do? Listen, Miller. Shut up. You can... I want a lawyer. You got to let me have a lawyer. You can't get away. You want to sing, Maxie? Or do you want to spend a few hours in the haunted cell upstairs? The what? <laughs> Oh, another gag, huh? Think so? Listen, I bet you eight dollars you change your mind, baby. Get up. What are you going? Get going. Go ahead, John. Open the door. Okay. What are you going to do to me? You can't get away. Never know Skeeter Dempsey, Maxie. Come on, this way. What about him? They burned him last winter. Yeah, that's right. Friend of yours? I know them. Well, that's just fine, Maxie. Yes, sir, that'll be just dandy. What you asking about Skeeter Dempsey for, Miller? <laughs> Skeeter killed a copper, too. So what? It's bad business to kill coppers, Max. Ready, John? Already, yeah. Right this way, Maxie, my boy. What you up? To? I'll tell you. 
Throw it in there, baby. Get in there, you... Now, listen. This here is the cell that Skeeter Dempsey was locked up in when he first came here. He liked the cell, Maxie. He still likes it. <laughs> what do you mean? He'll probably be around to see you before the night's over. Oh, yeah? Another one of your gags, huh? Well, you won't kid me, copper. This whole corridor, Maxie. You're the only guy in it. Except Skeeter Dempsey. We'll see what a night here with him will do to you, huh, John? Yeah. If you get scared, Maxie, just call. Just yell. Nobody will pay any attention to you. Nobody at all. <laughs> Except maybe Skeeter Dempsey. Good night, Max. Come on, John. Hey, listen now. Pleasant dreams, you rat. You can't scare me, Miller. I know your gags. You can't scare me. No, we'll see about that. Ghosts. Hey, I want a lawyer. Good night, Maxie. Hey, you can't turn the lights out on me. Miller, turn the lights back on, Miller. You can't leave me here in the dark. Can't, huh? <laughs> Miller, Miller, why, you flat fight. Miller, come back here. Miller, I'm scared. Turn the lights on, Miller. For the love of Mike. I'm scared of the dark. Go on. Turn the lights on, Miller. Please. Miller, listen. Take me out of here. Cut out the yellow. <laughs> Sit down. Who... Who are you? Don't you know me, Maxie? I'm Skeeter Dempsey. You... You can't be. It's a gag. Listen, copper. I'm no copper, Max. Sit down. Let's talk about things. Where are you? Right here. Wait. Wait till I light a match. I want to see what you look like. You'll be surprised, Max. There, there ain't nobody here. Oh, yes, there is, Maxie. I'm right here beside you, kid. Yeah? It was Skeeter Dempsey, all right. I recognized his voice right away. When I lit the match and couldn't see nobody there, I guess I fainted. I remember trying to yell. Only my voice wouldn't work, and when I come to, I was laying on the cell floor. For a minute, I couldn't figure out what happened, and then it all come back to me. You know how it is when you're really scared? Or maybe you've never been real scared, huh? Well, I'll tell you. My mouth was so dry I couldn't hardly breathe. All I could hear was my heart pumping away as loud as an old flivver engine. It was 
too scared to say a word. I just crawled up onto the bunk and laid there. So I scared you, huh, Maxie? Go away now. Whoever you are, go away, go away. Oh, shut up. I ain't gonna hurt you. I could pray you away. No, you couldn't, Maxie. You couldn't pray me away. What they got you in here for? Bump it off. Nothing. You knocked off that Hogan guy, didn't you? Well, it's too bad for you, Max. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Are you still here? Sure. You. You ain't Skeeter Dempsey. Yes, I am. Listen, Skeeter Dempsey was burned last winter. I know a reporter that seen him set in a chair. That's right. Well, then you ain't Skeeter Dempsey. Yes, I am. <laughs> I know. I know you're scared. I know, I know. Stop jittering. I ain't gonna hurt you. But you're a ghost. Well, what if I am? I wish you'd go away. Why should I? This is my cell, after all. Oh, Skeeter, please. Oh, can I? Listen, let's talk. I haven't had nobody to talk to for two months. Who'd you talk to then? George Brown. You remember him? Yeah. High Sky, yeah. Hey! George Brown hung himself in a cell here. Yeah. This cell. This cell? Uh-huh. Him and me sat up and talked all night. And he hung himself next day. What'd he hang himself for? Oh, he'd have got burned anyway. They had him for two jobs. One knocking off an old lady for 70 bucks. And the other shooting that bank guy down in Springfield. Did you see him hang himself, Skeeter? No, I wasn't here at the time. Where was you? Oh, I was away. Skeeter? Yeah? What does it feel like to be dead? All right. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, my God. What's the matter? Oh, what what about hell and all that? You get used to it. My old lady used to make me go to Sunday school, and they used to talk about hell there. Fire and everything. There ain't no fire. Ain't they? No. It's worse than that. What? What's it like? You'll find out. If I get out of this rap, I'm... I think I'll go straight. You're too late, Mac. No, I ain't. I'll beat it. No, you won't. You gotta croak. Sometime, yeah. You'll croak on this rap. How do you know? I know. <sighs> There's one way you could get out of some of the hell, old Mac. How? Bump yourself off. What do you mean? Well, if you wait for the law to punish you, that's one thing. If you take the law in your own hands and, well, kind of punish yourself, it'll make a difference. Is it pretty tough, Skeeter? What, hell? Dying. 
hurts awful. The chair, I mean. You go in feeling pretty cocky and figuring you can take it and you're going to be a tough guy and all. And then... What then, Skeeter? All of a sudden you find you can't take it. You don't want to yell and scream, but... Well, it's awful. God! What then, Skeeter? You ain't never had no pain in all your life, Max. Can begin to compare with the chair. Yeah? You'll find out. Do you really think I will, Skeeter? <laughs> what do you think? I wonder how it feels to bump yourself off. George Brown said it was all right. Kind of made him feel better, he said. He said? Yeah, I seen him the day after. Oh. Huh? If I was you, Max. I think I'd do it. Yeah. I'm not going to bump myself off. I won't do it. These lousy coppers ain't going to make me. Who's that? Miller, I guess. Is that you, Miller? Who was you talking to, Maxie? Skeeter Dempsey? Listen, Miller... Let me out of here. No kidding, let me out. Put me any place you want to put. Listen, Miller. Scared, Maxie. Who was you talking to, Maxie? Skeeter Dempsey? Miller, <laughs> no, no, Listen, Miller, turn on the lights. Will you turn them on, Miller, just for a minute? Dark's got you down, huh? Miller, please, turn on the lights. Oh, why not? It'll be darker still when I turn them off again. What's the matter now? Miller. There ain't anybody here. That's right. Was Skeeter in here with you, kid? I thought... I thought... There ain't anybody here. <laughs> oh, yes, there is, Max. I wouldn't worry about it, I'm Max. right here beside you. And I'm gonna stay. Kept me in that cell there for four weeks. Every once in a while, Miller'd come in and stand there in front of the door and laugh at me. Gonna sign a confession, Maxie? He'd say. Well, I wasn't gonna give him nothing. But that place got me. Just as soon as it was dark, I'd hear Skeeter Dempsey's footsteps and come and sit down with me. I was awful scared at first. Kinda hard to get used to practically living with a ghost. But then I kinda got used to him. He was always telling me how I was gonna burn and how I'd be better off to hang myself like George Brown done. I guess it was a little bit nothing. Miller wouldn't let me have no lawyers either. They was keeping me in there without knowing anything about it so as they could hand me the rap when the time come. Well, the time come. Some place or other, Miller dug up the evidence that I wouldn't give them, and they had me. And how they had me. So one morning, a few weeks later, I'm sitting in the courtroom. The jury's been out 20 minutes. Everybody rise. <laughs> 
Sit down. Gentlemen of the jury, have you arrived at a verdict? We have, Your Honor. Will you pass the verdict to the bailiff, please? We, the jury, find the defendant, Max Young, guilty of murder in the first degree. Mr. Foreman, is this your verdict? It is, Your Honor. The defendant will rise. Get up, Maxie. Max Young, have you anything to say before sentence is passed on you? Well, uh... No, Your Honor. You realize that in a verdict of guilty of first-degree murder, the death penalty is mandatory? Yeah. Yeah, Your Honor. Very well, then. It is the sentence of this court that you are to be taken from this place and between the 21st and the 30th of December, shocked to death by electricity. And may God have mercy on your soul. All right, Maxie. Come on, this way. Well, Max, that's that. Yeah. Did you say? I didn't say nothing. It was me, Max. I said there's only one way out. Now. wasn't ready to send me down to the state prison where they bump off guys, so they kept me in this here wing of the county jail where they had me in Skeeter Dempsey's old cell. I guess this guy Muller must have liked his pal Ambrose Hogan quite a lot, the guy I knocked off. Huh? Sure, I knocked him off. What's the use of kidding around? Yeah, I guess he must have thought a lot of him, because... He kept me in there where it was dark, where I'd be scared to death all the time. Really getting even. But I kind of fooled him. I wasn't so scared of Skeeter by this time. I got so I'd sit in the dark there and I'd be waiting for him. And we'd talk. About everything in the world. It was funny. People out of history and funny places and stuff and oh, a lot of things. Skeeter told me he saw a lot of the guys we talked about. Nero and Judas Iscariot. But why not? He was dead, wasn't he? And so was they. Oh, but I gotta hurry up with my ghost story, ain't I? That's right. Uh, what I was gonna say was... I was sitting there one night, the 23rd it was, day before Christmas Eve, sitting in the dark, and I heard Skeeter coming. Come 
Hello, Skeeter. Hello, Max. How you feel? Not so hot. Still thinking about the hot squad, huh? What else do you expect me to think about? Oh, I wish they'd hurry up and get it over with. That's what I wish. It's tomorrow night. What is? They burned you. On Christmas Eve? Yep. Honest, Skeeter. How do you know? I found out. Oh, God. Well, don't take it so hard. I'll walk in with you when I take you to the chair. I'll stand right there alongside you. Will you, Skeeter? Will you, Honest? Sure. Won't do you much good, though. Why? I can't keep it from hurting you. Honest, Skeeter, does it hurt a lot? Or is it all over with pretty quick? It seemed to me to last a hundred years. Oh, I'm a sucker for pain, Skeeter. Are you? Sure. I cut my finger once. I put in there croaked with the pain. You ain't felt nothing yet. Yeah? Yeah. Gee, I remember, too, when I busted my leg, my old lady sat up all night holding my hand and me brawling. This will feel like a million busted legs. Listen, Skeeter. What? Didn't you say George Brown told you it didn't hurt much bumping yourself off? That's what he said. Why? I... I was wondering. Well, I know what I'd do if I was in your place. Yeah? Would you bump yourself off? Yeah. I... I don't think I got the guts to do it, Skeeter. It ain't hard. You got a belt. You could get it around your neck and climb up on the bunk and fasten the belt to the bars up above. Then all you got to do is jump off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it would help you out if you did. What do you mean? Well, you know, I told you. Kind of punishing yourself, see? I know. But I can't, Skeeter. I can't, I can't. I don't want to die. Well, it's all right with me. I was just telling you. Believe me, lad, I know what I'm talking about. Do you, Skeeter? Do you? Yeah. Uh, I wish I had the guts to do it. I don't care what you do, Maxie. Only you're going to get burned tomorrow night anyway. And if you want to get out of the most awful pain you ever had, do yourself a good turn at the same time. Well? I wonder what it feels like. George Brown said it only hurt for a minute. He never had much guts. That I remember. No. Here comes Miller. Going to tell you, I guess. Yeah. You don't look very happy. You what? Can you see in the dark? Yeah. Hello, Max. Hello, Miller. Want me to turn on the lights? I don't care. You getting used to the dark? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll turn them on anyway. It's about the end of the string, huh? Tomorrow, huh? Yeah. Well, that makes you and me even. Listen, Max. I wanted to see you knocked off on account of Ambrose Hogan. I, well... I ain't sore, Miller. Oh, 
You know. Yeah. No hard feelings, Miller. It's your job being a copper and mine being a hood. Yeah. Well, is there anything you want, Maxie? No, I guess not. You ain't got no folks? No. I could get you a bottle of bourbon if you wanted it. Nah, what's the use? Well, you got to get ready to go down to the state prison in a little while. They got the... Well, I mean, that's where you got to go. Do I have to go today? Yeah, I guess so. Well, kind of hate to leave this place at that. Do you? Yeah. Scared me quite a lot at first, but I guess it's taught me a lot being here in the dark all alone. Except for me, Max. Yeah. Well, Max, listen. Try to take it standing up, will you? You know. I'll try, Muller. But it's going to be awful tough. Yeah. Well, look, I'll... I'll be back in a little bit and we'll go. Uh... Sure, there ain't anything you want me to get, Maxie. No. All right. Oh. I'm... I'm sorry, Max. Huh? <laughs> it's okay, Muller. Forget it. I told you, Max. Yeah. Well, I gotta be going. So long, Maxie. You going, Skeeter? Yeah. I'll, uh, see you tomorrow night. But listen, Skeeter, don't go away now. I have to. And just in case you decide to do what George Brown did, there's an extra piece of rope under the mattress. You won't have to use your belt. So long. story. You believe in ghosts now? You don't? Well, you ought to. You see, I took Skeeter's advice. I hung myself. I've been dead six months. You can turn them on now. You have just heard the third in the summer series of Lights Out. Tonight's story featured Norman Gottschalk as Maxie, Stanley Shule as Skeeter Dempsey, and Roy Engel as Miller. Boris Aplon was heard as the judge, and Nathan Davis as Johnny. Next Saturday night, come 9 o'clock, we've got a story cooked up for you that ought to give you a chill in the hottest weather. Two master magicians, both in the inner cult of Haitian voodooism, lock horns in a titanic struggle which comes to a climax over the Chicago airport. So you'd better make a mental note to be near your radio next Saturday evening. Lights Out is produced and directed by Albert Cruz. This is... N I hung myself. 
I've been dead six months. All right. You can turn them on now. You have just heard the third in the summer series of Lights Out. Tonight's story featured Norman Gottschalk as Maxie, Stanley Shule as Skeeter Dempsey, and Roy Engel as Miller. Boris Aplon was heard as the judge, and Nathan Davis as Johnny. Next Saturday night, come 9 o'clock, we've got a story cooked up for you that ought to give you a chill in the hottest weather. Two master magicians, both in the inner cult of Haitian voodooism, lock horns in a titanic struggle which comes to a climax over the Chicago airport. So you'd better make a mental note to be near your radio next Saturday evening. Lights Out is produced and directed by Albert Cruz. That was The Haunted Cell from Lights Out here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. Another lockdown listener request. Abby and Lionel sent that to us. And thank you so much for being listeners and your requests. And yay. All right. So, boys, what's your first uh, impression? I was convinced this was Arch Lobler. <laughs> <laughs> We were in just moments ago discussing that this is a Willis Cooper script repurposed for Arch Obler's purposes, but I'm still kind of shocked in this belief that it's not Arch Obler. Really? Because to me, this seems like a proto-Quiet Please script. Wow. It has the first-person narrator that speaks directly to the listener, pausing now and again to answer unheard comments from the listener, which is something that he's going to use a lot in Quiet Please. And it just feels like it's much closer in tone and feeling to Quiet Please than some of the other Lights Out, even some of the other Willis Cooper episodes of Lights Out that I've heard. Oh, granted that, it doesn't have Arch Ober's bag of tricks, so those re- repetitions and, and extreme gross-outs. It was a story that was such at face value for like 90% of it. Like, you're going to go to a haunted cell, there's a ghost in there. There's a ghost in here. Hi, I'm a ghost. That's <laughs> so literal. <laughs> yeah, I. it does have a very quiet, please quality to it for a number of reasons. Pace is one of them. I think you're right, Tim, that it's, it is very straightforward, not very weird. It's not, oh, I'm in love with the plants and, I'm, and now I'm a plant. There's a simplicity to it. But also, o- Obler would never have such a casual narrator. Obler's narrators have already lost their mind and they're speaking very urgently and frantically. I guess that speaks to Pace, as Eric already mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. It also has the end moment where the narrator, who is otherwise seems rather affable and mild-mannered, suddenly reveals himself as a possible danger to the listener he's been speaking to the entire time, which is very reminiscent of the thing on the forble board. Uh, and there's a couple other quiet plays where he uses that trick. Obviously, I'm wrong because it is Willis Cooper, but it just it took me by surprise, and uh, perhaps it shouldn't have. Well, we're here to let you know how wrong you are. It's not enough that you're wrong. <laughs> So, in general, Tim, regardless of who wrote it, did you enjoy the story? I did. It was a very kind of split experience for me of, like I was just sort of saying, that each beat of the story, I was a little bit, is this going to be as exactly obvious and literal as it's promising to be of, we're going to put you in a cell with a ghost. Hi, I'm a ghost. I'm here to haunt you. I guess 
I, I was excited for a haunted jail cell. I love ghost stories that this was maybe a little too little for the, to scratch that itch. That being said, it was super fun. I really enjoyed what it was, even if I was a little disappointed not being what I wanted it to be. And specifically, I thought, this is like if A Christmas Carol went really, really badly. <laughs> right. Instead of redemption and second chances, just take your out, Scrooge. Take it. <laughs> Do the right thing. Joshua, I'm going to make a huge guess. The entire time I was listening to this, I kept saying, boy, Joshua loves this. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about it. I think it's fascinating. And I think it's one of those scripts where its strengths are also simultaneously its weaknesses. I think its weakness is, as Tim already pointed out, that it tells you what it's going to be. And then it is just that with very little twists. And there are some repetitive scenes. We have maybe one too many scenes of a friendly ghost trying to get a guy to commit suicide. <laughs> the strength side, though, is also the time he takes. And there's some real human horror and discomfort in the time spent forcing this guy to sit in the dark and just hear over and over again, you should really kill yourself. You think this is bad? Wait till the chair. Wait till hell. And the performance of uh, the gentleman as Maxi, I think, is really strong, moving from this really casual, nonchalant narrator to kind of this hysterical, fearful criminal. So the pace is really slow. And I was on board with it for a long time because a slow pace can create a lot of tension and a lot of suspense. The length of time it takes him to just walk to the haunted cell, the length of time to just walk down a hallway and turn a light switch off and come back. That's tension. And I understand that. But after a while, it stops for me earning that pace because it doesn't ramp up. Uh, what's at stake just sits there uh, from the beginning. It's will he or won't he? And it's not really a ghost story either because it's established at the top that it's a ghost. So it's not a story of if it's a ghost or not. It's a story about whether a guy is going to kill himself or not. And, and that's easier way out for him in the long run, less painful. God, God will go easier on you, all of that. In addition, the performance of it is so laid back. Skeeter McGee or whatever his name is <laughs> uh, and Max are both, you know, it's this, you should kill yourself. Yeah, I don't know about that. Okay. Read any good books lately? <laughs> no? I love that part of it. I think that's where it excels. I mean, do you know how out I would have been if they put him in the cell and then Skeeter came up and went, and, you know, was it actually right. a terrifying ghost that he was trapped in the cell with? I just, sorry to interrupt you, but I don't mean that kind of ghost story, but I mean, he has to be convinced Mm -hmm. There's a moment where he says, this has got to be the cops playing a trick on me. Yeah. Like some kind of ramp up, ramp up, ramp up, ramp up until there's no doubt that it's a ghost. Instead, it's pretty well established. Okay, you're a ghost, so I'm just going to have oh, these conversations. I think that's exactly what happens. You as the listener are left to go, wait, is this a trick on the part of the cops? And then I think it leaves you in doubt until the cop comes back and they turn on the lights and he Skeeter is invisible and we hear him talking in full lighting to Maxi, And so then you know about a little before the halfway point that yes, this is a ghost. Right, that's what I'm saying is- You're saying that was too soon to reveal? Yeah, I think so because the reveal to me needs to be, oh my God, it is a ghost. Instead of even halfway through, 
which is too early. Like for me, like, okay, we now know. And so now you've got another 15 minutes or so of that same pace with will he or won't he kill himself, which the end of this, the twist, I guess, is, oh, by the way, your narrator is actually dead. Didn't land with me like, oh, wild. I just went, yeah, all right. So the only point to him being a ghost is to lend him an air of authority when he talks about what hell is, how suicide helps. He's not haunting him. No. There's no mystery to this guy. He's just speaking with an unnatural authority. And for myself, the ending, it really did lull me into a false sense of security of, all right, I get this story. It's just this sort of charming story of suicide. Oh, God, I have problems. But when it did really make that dark twist into... I've been dead for six weeks. I, oh, ah, I, it was that two-second scare at the end of a half hour of interesting ideas. <laughs> and I think that's what's great about this script and also its weakness is the number of great ideas. That's why I say this is like a proto-quiet police script. Cooper's going to get much better at taking all those great ideas he introduces here and then integrating them better into the script. Because he says it's a ghost story, but it's really not. It is more about life. This whole play is this 30-minute calculus of pain. What is going to cause me the least pain between the chair, suicide, hell? It's a life of pain in which he's pursuing avenues of lesser pain, and then will die and possibly experience more pain. It's extremely bleak when you take it apart. And you also have the fascinating idea of cops who know this cell is haunted. Or do they? Or is it a trick that they've done over and over again and it works and it's just like hey let's do that haunted cell trick and they have no idea that it's really haunted but the idea of a ghost who might be in cahoots (laughs) with the cops uh, is really fascinating and and that's where i thought this might go toward the end is more about how did that relationship start Um, the character of miller is by far the most fascinating character in here to me because he is that hardcore thug but he also talks like he's hosting a nightclub act like he calls them baby at one point (laughs) there's some real 1930s slang in here because i think that's when the script was written we have some unfortunate 1930s racism in the he was a white guy you see that in a lot of hard-boiled private eye literature from that era about like that's really white of you with the idea that whiteness is synonymous with goodness I was going to ask about that. Did I hear that right? Yep. And I did. He's a white guy. Okay. Yeah, but not like you killed a white person like just because he's white. But in, yeah, as Josh was saying, the description of white as a person who is worthy of not being killed. It gets worse <laughs> the more I talk yeah. about it. Let's, let's not break it down. There's, there's a reason it's not an expression anymore, hopefully. So yeah, that stood out as well. There was a uh, stylized delivery the entire way through by everybody. Those very square jawed yeah that's the way it's gonna be she a parody almost of that they were mm. all very i didn't find it parodic at all with the cops i found it pretty naturalistic when they were i mean the dialogue is is maybe dated like tim saying like um tough guy dialogue but i thought the performances particularly in that interrogation to be naturalistic by radio standards you you have to exaggerate for this style of radio a little bit but also a nice contrast to the very mellow, easygoing Maxie we get in the narration segments. And speaking of expressions, I think the weirdest part of this to me was when Maxie says, 
Well, they took me in and they decided to show me the goldfish. And I went, goldfish? And then he immediately answers me. <laughs> you don't know what that is, huh? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. And the problem is I still don't know exactly what showing you the goldfish is. Is that beating you with a rubber hose? Then putting you in a haunted cell, keeping you arrested for, did they say four weeks without charging him? <laughs> yeah, you know, police procedural here is awful. No, seeing the goldfish, it's actually uh, in the 30s in jails, they had a bowl of goldfish. <laughs> And you'd go in and you'd see him and not the goldfish, not the goldfish. <laughs> it was just a nice afternoon to go down to the precinct and see the goldfish. It was a thing people used to do before television and radio. I like that line. I'll bet you $8. Like I, I bet, <laughs> random, it's a random number that makes me laugh. Why eight bucks. Okay. It's like, that's what I have in my wallet. So what did you guys think of Miller's seeming change of heart or pity he takes at the end on Maxie? It's pivotal to the script because I think it's the scene that makes Maxie change his mind about going to the chair and decide to kill himself. It's weird. It seemed in my head linked to the moment, and it, I can't justify this, but it's right after the moment when he actually admits he killed the cop. Mm -hmm. I mean, even just to the ghost, but when he actually admits it, and after that, all this antagonism seems to end towards him. So did you read it as um, sincere on the part of Miller, the pity he was taking yeah. on at that moment? I was curious to see if Miller was going to turn that, and like you say, some sort of being in cahoots with the ghost of like, I heard you admit this, so now I, I've got you, and this is a trick somehow. But it wasn't. It was just, it seemed very sincere to me. I think that he felt that Maxie had regret and therefore deserved some sympathy. But I think you're right that why put it in there if it didn't mean something? Well, I certainly think it's what motivates Maxie. It's like if death by the electric chair is so horrible that this cop who has beat me with a rubber hose, kept me from a lawyer, held me in the dark after I was even given the death sentence just so I would be scared and in emotional pain longer suddenly feels regret about frying someone to death you know how bad an experience this is going to be that's how i read it from a, a narrative point of view i'm not sure that they entirely justified it that change of heart from a writing point of view and then there's also the weird bit where the rope then shows up under the mattress that's what made me go back and go was this sort of a good cop bad ghost kind of thing where he comes in with the soft side and then the ghost like there's rope under the bed get to it Joshua, you were talking earlier about this being a story of managing expectations of pain and making decisions based solely on how much is this going to suck. And I think there's an extra layer to it of that, of basing that those decisions on information you hear from secondary sources who may be unreliable of. It's the ghost who's telling you, and he's even telling you, he heard some other ghosts say this about suicide. <laughs> And this poor guy is left to make very difficult decisions, trusting the opinions of very unreliable people. Yeah. And then you have to question, is he a reliable narrator himself? Is he giving you all the facts? I think we're supposed to believe so, but there are moments when I'm, I'm not entirely sure. So I keep coming back to the question of how did the cops discover that this cell was haunted? That's like the most fascinating, unexplored part of this story is that cops have a ghost that they use to get confessions. Which is why I lean toward there is not a ghost. It is a cop trick, the whole thing. Put a speaker in his filling or something like that. 
but <laughs> I think that was a reasonable thing to think throughout. But I think with Maxie showing up as a ghost at the end that we are supposed to believe that this is truly haunted and the cops either A, somehow know it, or B, played that trick on a particularly frightened prisoner and he killed himself and they just keep <laughs> leaning on it. I don't know. It's a fascinating setup. And like to me, that's a whole nother like ghost cop <laughs> story. <laughs> now that I would have... Because it's like a supernatural CI. Is he like literally working with them? <laughs> that's where this should have gone. I would have been really on board with that. He helps them find psychics. <laughs> no stop. And do we think Skeeter's motivation is purely that he feels bad that he didn't kill himself when he had a chance and he could have had less pain in hell and skipped the chair because he talks about how painful the chair is? I'm still that- mildly convinced that Skeeter is just like, suicide will make this much worse for you. It's going to hurt a lot more than the chair. That, that he's- Oh, he's just having cruel ghost kicks by doing this. Yeah, he is I think- not a good influence. <laughs> because he just does not let up it becomes just sort of maddening uh, and i think this could make you as eric said just frustrated with the episode or make it feel like real life hell situation where the ghost doesn't stop talking even the historical figures he talks about nero and judas are all people who committed suicide (laughs) yeah can even your anecdotes have something that doesn't have to do with suicide it was an odd little exchange of skeeter I can't remember his nickname. Whatever he's called. Skeeter. Skeeter. I had it right. Yay. Saying that, uh, yeah, hell, you get used to it, but it's much worse than fire, which yeah, implies that- like, Skeeter, you can get used to a lot. <laughs> I don't know. I, I can get used to fire. <laughs> I At that moment where he said, you get used to it, referring to hell, my first thought was, well, that defeats the entire purpose of hell. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw in that when Maxie is scared, he sounds a lot like the cowardly lion. <laughs> I do believe in spooks. I do, I do, I do. <laughs> His voice broke just like him and everything. And <laughs> Now that you say it, I'll give that to you. <laughs> I, I was very taken by, oh, man, that sounds so much like that. Other than that, any other additional ideas, thoughts on this? I recognized and love the... The conceit of the show is you are supposed to strictly listen to this in the dark and that part of the story that like when the lights go out in the story is when it's supposed to be very terrifying. I was listening on a bus, so I couldn't comply, but I think it'd be a better experience if I could. Yeah, I'm a sucker for that too. The radio dramas that put the characters in the same sort of sense environment that you are as a radio listener. They can't see anything and they have to imagine they're all just like you. All right, well, let's send this to a vote. Overall, I think this is a fascinating, truly horrifying, not in a supernatural ghost story horrifying way, but in a what are the painful, horrible consequences for your choices in life that are (laughs) unavoidable. That's where I thought the horror lied. And it hints at the better scripts that Cooper is going to write later on. Like I said, the scenes with Skeeter egging Maxie to kill himself, I think, are effective, but there are too many of them. It doesn't escalate the right way. It has tons of great, interesting themes and ideas. But unlike later Cooper scripts, he he fails to sort of wrap them all up and put a nice bow on them at the end. The final twist, I I agree that Eric was a little bit of a damp squib, but I think if I keep in mind, though, that the script was written in the early 30s when horror radio was still in its infancy, and I think a narrator speaking to you so intimately in the mid-1930s, late at night on your radio, who then says they're a ghost, I think it probably was far more effective 
then than it was maybe in 1946, let alone in 2020. So yeah, I, I think parts of it stand the test of time. It's definitely of historical value because it's early Cooper work. And I had a lot of fun. It's mainly nerdiness that made me enjoy this. <laughs> Tim? I agree with that. I, I was being maybe a little glib, but I think it's very true that part of where I enjoyed this was the alternate version of A Christmas Carol. But that, I mean, is that structure of this person has done wrong in their life and they are going to be visited by a ghost to not get them to improve, but to call them to a reckoning. And it's bleak and a dark version of A Christmas Carol. And I really enjoyed it as a sort of alternate version of that. It is a little old fashioned. And as you say, because it's almost a hundred years old now, but it's definitely of historical uh, interest. And I think it holds up pretty well. It's definitely of historical interest. I don't think there's anything about it that makes it horrible to listen to, to a modern ear. So I'll give it stands the test of time. It's not to my tastes. So I want to be clear about that, that if you're going to give me slow pace, you've got to pay it off. Uh, I use this frequently as my reference point to a slow pace and a payoff. Many scenes in Inglorious Bastards, the movie, have a horrifyingly slow pace that the suspense and tension build and build and build. This pace didn't build for me, and so I wasn't enthralled the entire time, and I would have liked to have seen the conflict or the escalation be about the ghost being real or not. And Joshua said it, what was the relationship with the ghost with the cops is it their setup or was he a ghost cop i think there was something that could have been done there and joshua and i disagree a little bit on performance you liked the performance a lot i found it okay a little over the top to me this is understated by lights out standards yeah i mean usually in lights out they've devoured all the old-time radio scenery at, by the end of 30 right. minutes this field really restrained in comparison I've got one more parenthetical thought uh, that I forgot to sneak in here of right near the end, the ghost says uh, Miller's coming. He doesn't look happy. I thought what was going to happen right there was Miller was going to come tell him you've been pardoned on Christmas mm. to reveal like that. This ghost had no idea what was actually going to happen, that he was just trying to get him to kill himself and, and failed. You know, Tim, now that you mentioned the Christmas Carol thing and the fact that he was being executed on Christmas Eve, I think you're on to something much more than I'm giving you credit for. I think this is a very Christmas Carol retelling. <laughs> I am now suddenly, I've, we've never done this before. We're, we've given all our verdicts and now suddenly this whole thing is opening up to me as well because I can also read that moment with Miller as he has Scrooge's change of heart instead of uh, Maxie. This is brilliant. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it does tell you that even in a, a clumsy, and I think there are clumsy parts of Cooper's script that he often is playing with big ideas. Yeah. I'm going to give it Tim's assessment of this episode. Classic. That was a classic <laughs> assessment. <laughs> I'm going to definitely go back and re-listen to it from that standpoint and make up all sorts of stuff. That's not really there, but uh, I'll be Ed back Cannon to what I do. <laughs> All right, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. It's a great way to leave a message for us, to uh, comment on episodes. There's links to our social media pages. You can uh, make requests of episodes you'd like us to listen to. You can 
chit chat with other people who listen to the to these episodes. There are a lot of fascinating people, weird, lovely people who listen to this podcast who would like to talk to you. You can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. We really appreciate it. You can also go to iTunes and write a review. We also love reviews. That helps us a lot. We have a lot of very nice reviews, but we're terribly greedy and we want more. So uh, if you don't have the ability to support the podcast financially, uh, write us a review. That's the like the worst parenting statement ever. There's a lot of weird, lovely people who would like to talk with you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it sounded like a terrible one nine hundred number, but <laughs> yours is better. Also, if you'd like to see our theatrical performances, go to parksquaretheater.org or ghoulishdelights.com, where you can see our regular monthly schedule at Park Square Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota. Right now, during the COVID crisis of 2020, we are doing them uh, via Zoom and live and recordings and all of that kind of stuff, but they're going very well. And we're hoping to be back on stage with some live recordings very soon. But uh, our next one is coming up in August of 2020, and we will be going for sure through the end of 2020, if not further. So parksquaretheater.org, get a really affordable ticket and watch us or listen to us perform live and original work. What's coming up next? Next, we have, you guessed it, another lockdown listener request. And Yay. we are going to be listening to Killer Cards from The Adventures of Nero Wolf. Until then... Look out! But you're a ghost. Well, what if I am? I wish you'd go away. I do believe these folks. I do believe these folks. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. I do believe these folks. I do believe these folks. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. I do.